Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. What's infected? Statistically, roughly half of the audience. I'm Robert Evans. This is Behind the Bastards. It's a podcast. Bad people tell you all about them. Our guest today is Ty, better known as Hey Shady Lady by from the Boss LVL podcast, uh, a Twitch streamer and a YouTuber. How are you doing, Ty? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. How are you doing? Besides, I'm doing good. <laughs> now, Ty, you're a friend of our our head of of audio engineering here at Cool Zone Media, Daniel Goodman. Yes. Um, today, before we start the podcast, let's each tell a secret about Daniel. Um, he is very handsome. Not many people know this. Mm. That's a very sweet secret. <laughs> it's a well kept um, secret. <laughs> he he murdered a man in Barstow uh, in 1998. I was going to go with a story that our, our other editor, Ian, told us about Daniel in high school, but then I don't want Daniel to hate me. So I won't. <laughs> oh. So I won't. Okay. But just know, Daniel, well, if you're listening Sophie, to this, I fucking know what happened. The on, looms. I fucking now that know I dropped that shit about that Barstow, home. he's going to be on the run from the Marshalls. So there you, you go. can say whatever you want. Oh, my God. Um, there Ty, goes our podcast. Great. Thanks. <laughs> how do you how do you how do you feel about tea? Just like the drinking tea? The beverage. Yeah. Are you a tea drinker? I'm I'm quite a fan. Yes. Yes. I have a feeling you're about to scar me. Do you have tea in your house right now? Yes. Yes. I have some black tea. I've got some, a bunch of, a whole, whatever the word is I'm looking for, of herbal teas. Okay. I'm a a big tea fan. Would you do me a favor? We can cut some of this for time, but would you go look at the herbal teas and tell me who makes the herbal teas that you have? Let me grab the box. Yeah. (laughs) I'm an overachiever. Okay. Oh my god. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So That's a collection. I got All right. Traditional medicinals. It's a ginger aid healthy digestive tree. I got puka, a three mint organic tea. And then another traditional medicinals, breathe easy, respiratory health tea. Now, are any of those okay, okay, look I'm looking at okay, so none of those ah darn, none of those are celestial seasonings. I um, have actually deep dive celestial seasonings before, and I always side eye it because I'm like, isn't this some cult shit? So, oh, you have oh. you have stumbled upon what we're doing today. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's some cult shit. And today we're going to talk about the cult behind celestial seasonings tea. Um, most of the episode is going to be 
most of this is going to be way, way deep background. We're basically spending two hours talking about the backstory All right. of uh, the most so popular herbal tea in I the country. I used to drink celestial seasonings like almost religiously because they have a great sleepy time tea. Their tea yeah, their, their sleepy yeah. time tea is the best-selling tea in the in the world, yes, I think. Yes, yes. Um, it's extremely successful, certainly in the U.S. But we're talking about the backstory to celestial seasonings sleepy time tea. And it starts with a man named William Samuel Sadler. William Sadler was born on June 24th, 1875 in Spencer, Indiana, uh, or June 14th, 1875. I found a couple of different claims. It doesn't really matter which. Uh, His father was named Samuel and his mother was named Isabel. They were descendants from English and Irish immigrants. His mother was terrified that he would catch an illness at public school with the other kids, so they simply chose not to enroll him in school, Um, which is, you know, a good call. Uh, in 1875. What, you're not losing anything? Um, school was a disaster back then. So, he's the oldest of what would eventually be three children. His two younger siblings were twin sisters, one of whom died basically immediately. Um, Sadler's father was a music tutor and traveled around different towns. He also ran a chain of general stores. So, William grew up with money and access to financial resources despite his lack of a formal education. The family was not initially religious. Will's father was far too pragmatic for religion. His mother, though, was a seeker, and she joined a Christian church secretly by Behind his back. Uh, she worshipped as a stealth Seventh day Adventist for some time. We should talk a little bit about the Adventist. Is that the official yeah. title? The stealth? The yeah, stealth yeah. She was like secret. Yeah. Okay. She's like, she's like fucking, she's like doing undercover. St- like, this is some ninja Christian shit. Yeah. Okay. Secretly worshipping on Saturdays and all that good shit. <laughs> yeah. The Seventh day Adventists are like a weird little Christian cult. We had a couple of them that, that come out in the United States. They start as an apocalypse cult and then the apocalypse doesn't happen, but they just keep right on going. Um, and yeah, they're still around today. They, um, you know, she's she's a secret Seventh-day Adventist, um, and uh, for a while she's just hiding it, and then William's younger sister dies, and once dad and everyone else is really sad, mom's like, it's the time, I'm gonna get everybody fucking pilled on Adventism, um, and the whole family converts when they're sad, so there you go, um, it's good, it's like an opportunistic infection. Um, so Samuel gets so taken with the faith that he, he decides to take up a new job and becomes a Bible salesman, which you used to be able to make money being a Bible salesman. Now that actually makes like no sense to me. I can't imagine in 1875, there's fucking anybody who doesn't have a Bible, but yeah, yeah, maybe their old (laughs) Bibles get eaten by mice or something. These could be like new fancy ones too with like update. I'm sure if they've got like nice covers. Yeah. 40 pages of extra Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, I have found very little detail on Sadler's early life. Uh, Much of what we have comes in bits and pieces through the dozens of books he would spoilers author later in his life. Um, The excellent book God Talk by spiritual tourist Brad Gooch, which, my God, what a title and name. Yeah, Brad (laughs) Gooch. It's a good book, but what a ridiculous name. Brad Gooch. Come on, man. You can't. You don't get to be called Brad Gooch. the gooch so yeah. the gooch wrote a book about this guy and he gives a rare detail from his childhood quote growing up in wabash illinois sadler exhibited an early predilection for learning and a talent for public speaking he borrowed history books from his neighbor general lou wallace who was writing ben hur at the time all this knowledge came in handy when sadler's relative general mcnaught a one-time chief of scouts to general ulysses s grant asked him in a family reunion to stand on a rain barrel and give a speech on the battles of history sadler claimed that at the age of eight he had addressed a high school commencement in indianapolis on the subject the crucial battles of history And at age 16, he was dubbed the boy preacher in a local newspaper for a sermon he delivered at a Fort Wayne church. So, number one, a couple of things. This kid is growing up wealthy enough that he has, like, a neighbor and an uncle who are both, like, generals. um, And they kind of... He's like giving speeches and shit at at commencements for colleges and shit by the from the time he's a little kid. Um, yeah, so he he grows up. He's like a speech and debate boy, you know. Like oh, that, great, okay. That, that, that's the energy we've got here. As a speech and debate boy, I can tell you, there's very few things in the world more dangerous. 
And he's he's the salesman, right? The traveling salesman too. Well, his dad is. Okay. No, no, okay. this is the kid. So this so is the know, kid. But he's got his dad's influence in there, so he knows how to convince people to do yep. what he says. Yeah, his dad's a salesman, and he's got these fucking generals teaching him how to give public speeches. He's hanging out with a guy who wrote Ben Hur. Yeah. We got a good um, recipe going. <laughs> yeah, we got a great recipe going. This is going to end well. So, William spent his early childhood in the town of Wabash. Um, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but fucking, it's Illinois. Is there a state that matters less? No. <laughs> Fuck them. I grew up in Glen Carbon for a while. Anyway, at age 14, uh, which was generally considered adulthood back then, he left home for Battle Creek, Michigan. Um, there he got a job as the bellboy and kitchen attendant at the Battle Creek Sanitarium, run by America's great cum doctor, John Harvey Kellogg. Now, ah. yeah, Ty, you just listened to these episodes. What are your I big did. takeaways on Kellogg? All I just, I've never heard of a man more obsessed with children's masturbation habits. It that is for sure true. <laughs> <laughs> it was very uh yeah are you I, okay I, sir <laughs> yeah i don't want to this is probably a bad way to frame it but there are pedophiles less interested in that i yeah yeah it was it was a lot i was like mm-hmm. oh jesus christ robert <laughs> well there are sorry i just processed <laughs> his whole career around it though and was like obsessed yeah. with studying it it was some freaky deaky shit yeah it was it's very... not cool right like <laughs> no it's no, no. really pretty a, a real problem the degree to which this guy was interested in how kids masturbate <laughs> um and he also he loved colonics he loved shooting water up people's assholes <laughs> That's right, yeah. he invented machines <laughs> to more effectively had to shoot yogurt up assholes and stuff <laughs> we did a couple of episodes on john harvey kellogg with the great miles gray check them out um but in brief, Gray was, like uh, like Sadler's mom, a Seventh-day Adventist. He believed sex was the root of most evil, and the way to keep people pure was to avoid stimulating them. He also av- believed in physically assaulting victims of child sex abuse uh, as a way to treat them. Um, not a great guy. Uh, he was the most prominent Seventh-day Adventist in the country at the time, possibly ever. Um, again, this is the guy Kellogg's comes from, so he's pretty big name, right? Yeah, uh, mo- most people have a a product that came out of his fascination with cum somewhere in their house. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'll never be able to look at cornflakes the same again. <laughs> like, no, you shouldn't. Cornflakes, <laughs> which, by the way, for listeners of our old podcast, worst year ever, cornflakes are the exact texture of Mitch McConnell's ejaculate, which is like scabs. He comes scabs. Mitch McConnell comes scabs. Robert, and Sophie, Robert, we Sophie, want, we want we want Ty to come back and do this <laughs> podcast and enjoy. It. Enjoy I was about it. to what say, it's time to go to Cocoa Puffs, but I get the feeling that's probably <laughs> Kellogg's too, so I don't know. <laughs> well, Cocoa Puffs is kind of what Josh Hawley ejaculates, although they are flavored <laughs> oh, like oh, Josh Hawley. Um, what? Sophie, this is science, okay? You can't censor science. <laughs> no, this is pain. I, I, this, this is pure This pain. left-wing cancel culture has gone too far. <laughs> All right, Robert, move on. (laughs) So Dr. Kellogg uh, takes Sadler under his wing. Sadler starts off, young William at age 14, starts off basically doing janitorial stuff, but Kellogg takes a shine to the boy, uh, and he gives William a spot in the Adventist's Battle Creek College, uh, where he learned to become a minister at first. Uh, He graduates in 1894 and gets hired by Kellogg as a salesman for the sanitarium's health food line, which was distributed by Kellogg. Kellogg's Cornflake Company. So this guy starts off as a cornflake salesman. Um, Now, the late 1800s are a time in which white people absolutely hated cum, and William did very well in selling anti-cum cereal to concerned parents and state institutions. Uh, He persuaded his boss that the best way to sell their anti-cum cereal was to do active demonstrations in grocery stores. And again, the the primary, I'm not just bringing up the cum because it's fun to say cum, the primary selling point for Kellogg's cornflakes is that they don't stimulate you so you're not aroused, right? Like, particularly so your kids won't touch themselves i don't know how you demonstrate that in a grocery store (laughs) try this cereal ma'am do you feel like jacking off no you don't (laughs) it's done it like i don't actually under yeah it's just so wild to me that I don't know. What a bleak time in 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 It's a horrible history. time to be alive. <laughs> I, I can't think of many times I would less want to be alive than this period of time Truly. in the United States. Like, what a nightmare. Go back to the Roman Empire. Sure, there's less medicine, but at least you're getting drunk on lead wine and fucking, right? Like, <laughs> um, Jesus. So... 
he start and one of the things that this means because he comes up with this idea of hey let's take our 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 cereal to grocery stores he's kind of a pioneer in the free sample at grocery store food advertising business um so there you go william sadler invents helps invent sample culture that's kind of neat um, he must have been some salesman though to be like this is the most bland cereal of your life buy it and people bought it like that's that's some salesmanship there right there I think he's starting from like, you know what God hates when you're at all excited ever. God wants you to be like perpetually in a state of like ennui. Uh, so eat these cornflakes. You'll feel nothing. <laughs> God. Um, you know, that's not too far. Removed what a sad time to be a still. human. <laughs> yeah. No, this is more or less like where where Christian conservatives have always been. Um, except for now, they have a, a real hard on for guns that they didn't used to have. Um, anyway, it was a different time. So Sadler was a massive prude. He formed the Young Men's Intelligence Society while he was working at Battle Creek. This was a volunteer detective outfit with the aid of working with US, the U.S. Post Office and the Comstock Society for the Suppression of Vice to arrest printers and retails of pornography. So he becomes a volunteer anti-porn detective. <laughs> Oh my god, I can't imagine a bigger nerd in my life. I know, he's the <laughs> biggest fucking wet blanket. He's such he's such a good anti-porn detective that he gets part-time detective work at a couple of big government agencies and is offered a job at what would become the FBI. Or at least he claims that he gets offered a job at what would become the FBI. There's no evidence of this, but yeah. He's the OG incel. <laughs> he, he has, he's fucking strong incel energy here. Um... <laughs> So, in 1895, Dr. Kellogg told Sadler that he had to attend the Moody Bible Institute in Illinois uh, and learn to be an evangelist, and he eventually becomes, you know, ordained. He does all the does all the good Adventist Jesus stuff. Uh, he also gets promoted to lead Dr. Kellogg's lifeboat mission in Chicago, which sought to revitalize Skid Row through cornflakes. Over the next decade, Sadler met and married John Kellogg's niece, Lena, and had a son who died immediately, and a second son who did not. Not die. The dead son seems to have ignited an interest in both uh, Kellogg or in both uh, Lena and in William to study medicine. Um, and this that's interesting. So both his his parents lose a kid and it makes them religious, and then William and his wife lose a kid and it makes them decide to become doctors. William is said to have told his wife after their kid died, "quote You can have another baby, and perhaps in the meantime, since you've always wanted to do it, we can study medicine," which is like an interesting way of. <laughs> comforting her over yes, the death of very, a child. Very comforting. Thank you, William. Look, you can have another and we'll become doctors. <laughs> <laughs> so they move to San Francisco. They go to medical school. They do more missionary shit. Yada, yada, yada. Eventually they get their degrees uh, and they head back to Michigan. Um, in 1901, Sadler is ordained as an elder in the Adventist church, which is like a minister or a priest, basically. And yeah, for a while, things are good. They're happy in the faith. Uh... They're big names at the Battle Creek Sanitarium. He's basically Dr. Kellogg's right-hand man. But at around 1905, both Dr. Kellogg and Dr. Sadler begin to have issues with perhaps the only member of the Adventist church more prominent than Dr. Kellogg. Her name was Miss, Mrs. Ellen G. White. She had been born in Maine in 1827, and when she was nine, she was hit on the head with a rock by another student and permanently disfigured. The rock sent her into a coma that lasted for several months, and as you might guess she would later claim that this severe head injury brought her into communion with god um this is a common story with people who claim to have talked to god as severe head injuries so if you want your kid to become you know a prophet hit him in the head with a rock oh that's god. our that's the official the, look, that's just how <laughs> recommends on the advice of our medical experts if you want your kid to talk to god hit him in the head with a rock sophie can we play that that ad from big rock we can't, but I was just going to say that the, from some of the things they put on radio, I wouldn't be that yeah. surprised. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is time for an ad break, so <laughs> sponsors both the <laughs> concert tour and also hitting kids in the head with rocks, so go do both. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in, so you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. We're back. Um, and uh, I'm just enjoying this free novelty rock that was sent to me from the rock company. Uh, rocks. Hit kids with them. It's good for him. Sophie's just letting this happen. Wow, really falling down no, on the I, job. Uh, I was shameful. I was marking that 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 Chris who has threatened violence over the amount of times we've made him bleep things uh, is going to have to bleep more. And uh, I, I was like, I'll tell him, but that just is going to make him do it more. But, it is. You it know. is. It is. I am like a child. Here we are. That was something I was. Ins- yes. I was actually inspired by uh, behind the bastards when I was listening. I was like, "Dang, we're so like uh, over on boss level. We're like tiptoeing around our ads, and then you're just like, mm. yeah, go buy this shit.'" And I'm like, "You know what? Let's have a little more fun. Buy this <laughs> shit. Hit a kid with a rock." Yeah. All right. So we're back. Uh, so Ellen White gets hit in the head with a fucking rock. Talks to God, and for the next part of this story, I'm going to quote from a write up by Tim Challies who's some weird religious guy, I think, but whatever. Quote, When Ellen was 12, she and her family attended a Methodist camp meeting in Buxton, Maine, and there she had a formative religious experience in which she professed faith in Jesus Christ. In 1840 and 1842, she and her family attended Adventist meetings and became devotees of William Miller. Miller had dedicated himself to the study of biblical prophecy and was convinced that Christ would return on October 22, 1844. When Christ did not return, a non-event that would become known as the Great Disappointment, most people abandoned Adventism. But in the resulting confusion, Ellen claimed to have received visions that were soon accepted as God-given revelation. The small Adventist movement that remained was split by many rifts and much infighting. But Ellen was believed to have a gift that could reunite and guide the movement. Her dreams and visions continued, and she quickly became a leader among them. So that's how she winds up running, basically running the Adventist faith. She becomes kind of queen shit of Adventism. She moves the religion's headquarters to Battle Creek, which is why Dr. Kellogg picks Battle Creek to be the location of his sanitarium. Ellen continues receiving visions and dreams over the next half century. They're collected in a book, Testimonies of the Church, which eventually takes up nine volumes. As time went on, her preaching diverged more and more from Christian orthodoxy. She began to tell people that God does not torture sinners for all eternity, and instead sold are just deleted at the last judgment which 
I guess is better. Um, but this makes Christians angry because they want everybody to be tortured for forever, or at least it makes some Christians angry. Uh, so for many years, though, uh, Kellogg and her are thick as thieves. Kellogg is kind of the primary driver of both good press and money for the Adventist faith. Um, and as a result, she starts having revelations that support his health food business. So, you know, as he becomes prominent, she keeps having revelations that, oh, God wants you eating cornflakes, you know, that good shit. It's cool. It's a good grift, to be honest, and it works well for a while. But over time, Kellogg grows too powerful because Kellogg's not just an, a religious figure. He's like he's like Dr. Oz, except for he doesn't get into politics like he's beloved. <laughs> I can't I can't get a, a, over how funny that is that like the vision is eat cornflakes like <laughs> eat cornflakes don't come I shoot also, yogurt up right, your asshole the graham crackers and stuff too just the blandest food you can mm-hmm. imagine yeah it's this and- mix of the blandest food and shooting yogurt up your ass which <laughs> i have to think resulted in some weird ass kinks for a lot of people like there's a generation of kids who go to the battle creek sanitarium as children and become adults who are into the weirdest shit imaginable it's just the 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 saddest way to live life like they don't want any like i remember you saying from the other episodes like no no feelings at all just cruise through with on absolute no emotions you don't feel any pleasure but it sounds like they're okay with pain and it's just so strange like well pain is good because jesus felt pain but joy is bad because that part's unclear It, it is weird you know what it sounds a lot like honestly is like fucking George Lucas Jedi where they're like, you're not, you're not supposed to be in love. You're not supposed to be happy. Any no. good, any kind of emotion is bad. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're fucking, they're fucking Jedi. It's a shit religion. Um, anyway, so things are going good for a while, but Kellogg just gets too powerful because not, not only is he like a popular Adventist figure, every famous person, Henry Ford is going to the sanitarium. All of the famous people in like the early 1900s, late 1800s wind up at his sanitarium. Fuck, Teddy Roosevelt's there, I think. Um, and he just gets too powerful. Ellen White is supposed to be like the prophet of the religion, and this guy's fucking outshining her. Soon his sanitarium had more than 2,000 employees, while the entire church only employed 1,500 people. For an understanding of the rift that followed, I want to quote from Ellen White's estate, which is very biased and obviously silly, uh, but it gives you a good idea of her side of the dispute. Ellen White warned him against separating the medical work from the church. She also was concerned that he had gathered too much power to himself. Despite Kellogg's attempts to discredit her, she relentlessly tried to save him from apostasy. She even stayed in uh, in his home during the 1901 General Conference session, while still writing her appeals to him. But her counsels went largely unheeded, and when the Battle Creek Sanitarium burned in 1902, she saw it as a judgment against Kellogg's teachings and policies. Finally, on November 10, 1907, the Battle Creek Church dropped Kellogg from membership a tragic ending to more than 30 years of powerful influence in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, there's different versions of this. Kellogg will claim that he quit, right? And he left because Uh. he realized she was a con woman. Um, I think they're both right. Um, But William Sadler follows his mentor into apostasy. Now, a different write-up from the book Arantia, The Great Cult Mystery by Martin Gardner, gives his side of things. Quote, Both Sadler and Dr. Kellogg became deeply disturbed by flaws in Mrs. White's testimonies, which she insisted were divinely inspired, and by evidence that hundreds of passages in Mrs. White's books were copied from earlier works without giving credit to the real authors. Now, (laughs) this happens constantly in, like, various different spiritualist and religious things where people are, like, getting visions from God and it'll turn out to be plagiarized from someone else's book. We just talked about Holena Blavatsky plagiarizing a bunch of shit and claiming that it was the Akashic Records. It's all good. (laughs) Are you pilled on the Akashic Records, Ty? Yeah, like, I do a a lot of deep diving on, like, esoterica and occult culture. So uh, Helena Blavatsky is one that I wanted to super deep dive, but um, the whole, all of the, like, early... Late 1800s, early 1900s, occult following around these people leading up. And I also am very, like, interested in how it intertwines with, like, uh, World War II, like, Nazi yes. culture. <laughs> this, this is, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I, I initially was putting together the Helena Blavatsky episode for you 
Um, <laughs> but then Jamie Loftus sent the head of a goat that she had murdered to my house. Um, <laughs> yeah. With, with pictures of my children who have not even been born yet. Don't know how she did it. <laughs> um, so we had to do those episodes with her. But I put this together because I felt it was still on your occult wavelength. We're Definitely. talking about a lot of yeah. the same things, right? <laughs> um, it's going to get more occulty because Blavatsky's kind of beneath the surface of a whole lot of this. Um, and this is a fun occult story too but jamie will not murder my future children um (laughs) which i don't even plan to have um (laughs) but anyway that was part of the threat i think uh hi jamie i love jamie's a monster someone stop her anyway so perfect don't change sadler leaves battle creek sanitarium leaves the adventist church and he moves to chicago to found the institute of psychologic therapeutics Uh, where he had a private practice specialized in surgery. Uh, His wife, who was a doctor, and her sister, who was a nurse, both assisted him in carrying out operations. They do this from like 1906 to 1910, and then they start to get bored of doing surgery um, and decide to switch practices to become psychiatrists. Now, psychiatry is not like a... You don't get a degree, right? You kind of just decide to be a psychiatrist at this period. People are still inventing oh, psychiatry. Oh, wow, okay, okay. <laughs> it's, now, to be fair, being a doctor, like being a surgeon is like a two-year degree, right? Like, you, it's like, it's like, lear- it's like going to a trade school to be a welder. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't take much time in this period. Um, so it, it, this is, it, they just kind of decide to pivot. William would later say, after taking out 10 gallbladders, there wasn't much charm left. And he decided to become a psychiatrist because minds are all different. So basically organs are all the same and it's boring taking them out, but everybody's brain is different. So I want to fuck with people's heads. Yeah. Um, that's Doesn't cool. sound like his goals were about helping people at all. <laughs> well, No, of course not. But it's uh, whatever. People are sinners. It doesn't matter. So he and (laughs) Lena go abroad and they study with the greats of this new discipline in Leeds and Vienna. They attend lectures by Sigmund Freud and Sadler really likes Freud, except for the fact that Freud, if if you're not aware, kind of all about sex, right? And like Mm, the sexual roots of different like Freud is one of these guys who's like whatever's going on in your head as an adult is the result of like some psychosexual thing that happened when you were a kid. It's your mommy issues. It's your mommy issues. Sadler doesn't agree with that. Um, He thinks that's maybe a part of it. Um, But he's also he's kind of unique among physicians and scientists in the day in that he thinks that religion is the primary driving force for the human psyche. Um, and not just like, again, there's like a big atheism is starting to come into vogue among intellectuals and Sadler's very much the opposite of that. He believes that like, no, there's psycho religious elements are like a primary driving force in the human psyche. So the Sadlers return to the United States, ready to spread the gospel of good mental health. And they start being psychiatrists and also become in-demand speakers at what's known as the Chautauqua Circuit. Now, this is a network of speakers and speaking events in New York State that's like hugely popular among influential intellectuals and artists of the day. It's essentially like a mix between daytime TV and TED Talks. Like this is what all of the the great and good are going to these talks. And the Sadlers are huge. They're really good public speakers again he's been a public speaker since he was like a little boy um and they become very popular uh dr sadler spent years lecturing about hydrotherapy and primarily drugless remedies for mental health issues they don't believe in taking medicine for mental health issues um And that's like part of their Adventist beliefs. Um, And even though they've kind of left the church, the things they believed as Adventists become the center of their teachings. So Lena lectures on child purity, which is heavily about keeping your kids pure. William had a men's only class on morals that was about how not to touch yourself. Um, And again, they're very popular doing all this because it's a horrible time to be alive. Now, as with Dr. Kellogg, their overriding goal was the cause of making people better, of improving their physical state through making changes in their morality and behavior. It's not surprising then that in 1916, the Sadlers became dedicated fans of an author named Madison Grant and his new best-selling book, The Passing of a Great Race. Now, oh no! <laughs> you, you hear race in the title of a book in 1916, and you know this isn't going to go anywhere right. good, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> Marvin Gardner writes, quote, 
America, Grant claimed, was originally settled by a superior stock of Protestant Nordics, a stock rapidly being debased by interbreeding with inferior immigrant aliens. Unless we stem this hybridization, America will go the way of ancient Rome. Blacks, Grant believed, were inferior to all other races. Their mental abilities, he wrote, are in pretty direct proportion to the amount of white blood a black has. Even a mulatto with enough white blood to pass still has traits that may insidiously go back to his black ancestry and may be brought into the white race in this way. How did Grant wish to solve the Negro problem, as he phrased it? Our nation should enact strict laws against black-white marriages and work hard to educate the Negro in birth control techniques that would slow down his rapid breeding. So, Sadler falls in love with this guy. Um, now, oh my God. <laughs> if you're following so far... Dr. Sadler's always been kind of a derivative thinker and a trend follower, right? Dr. Kellogg is the big pop medicine guy in the day, so he falls in with Dr. Kellogg. Then he falls in with Dr. Freud when that guy gets popular. He's also huge into, like, you know, the, the this kind of pop speaking circuit at the time. He's big about, like, whatever pseudoscience is going to bring him money and prestige. Um, so this guy goes viral, Dr. or this Grant guy's book goes viral. And two years later... In 1918, um, Dr. Sadler figures out how to mix this fervor for eugenics that Grant had ignited in the United States with Germanophobia. Because obviously, 1918 is right after the U.S. decides to enter World War I. Um, so we're getting that whole war fever thing started, right? You can't sell sauerkraut in the United States oh, anymore. <laughs> um, so he decides, Sadler's like, look... I'm going to I you know what's going to make a fuckload of money is if I take this this racism and I wrap it in our hatred of the Germans that we suddenly have now because we're getting into World War One. And he publishes a book, Long Heads and Round Heads, which is a racial expose of the German people. Um, and this is this is some of that good shit. This is that like anti-German racism. It's it's very fun. So the book reveals Sadler's findings that Germany is dominated by two different races. The good race are the Nordics or Teutonics. These are blonde-haired, blue-eyed people with long heads. They're very intelligent, and Sadler expounds his theory that all great military leaders in history are Nordics, uh, as are all great explorers and inventors. Past famous Nordics included Cyrus the Great, who was a Persian emperor, Alexander the great a macedonian julius caesar an italian charlemagne who to be fair is actually a german and napoleon who is a corsican which are basically discount italians so <laughs> these guys yeah i was gonna say like when it's bled in with like all of the occult stuff too um they a lot of times like link there's there's a big problem with, like the occult stuff where like at uh atlanteans and um uh, oh yes venusians and stuff like the venusians are supposed to be this like higher light alien entity but they're mm. white skinned with blonde hair and blue eyes and it's just like yeah like funny how that happens you're describing an alien race but you're still somehow human racist about it okay cool yeah <laughs> well done <laughs> so the uh uh this is this is this is good so according to sadler in 1918 the only prominent german of nordic stock or the most prominent Ger german of nordic stock was general von ludendorff who you might remember from the first wonder woman movie or from the 1923 munich beer hall putsch those are his two great hits uh meanwhile most german soldiers the actual people fighting in the german army um and german field marshal paul von hindenburg who's running the war effort are members of the genetically inferior alpine race right so you've got a few nordics like ludendorff who are the smart germans and then you've got the dumb germans like hindenburg and all of their soldiers who are <laughs> alpines now the alpines have short heads and dark eyes and sadler claims that all biologists agree dark eyes are a characteristic of non-human mammals only primitive humans have dark eyes so the darker your eyes the closer you are to primitive humans <laughs> This is wild. I just can't. And, and these people had so much power. Like when you, it, it's really weird listening to how intertwined the web is of all of these different individuals and how they created power in that time period and how they still hold power or their, their lineage, their family lines, yeah. their, their corporations or whatever. It's, it's <laughs> honestly like makes you want to uh, leave, leave the planet. <laughs> no, I think everything's fine. That's oh, okay, my okay. attitude that we're, we're good. Everything's cool as a cucumber. Anyway, 
um, it's fine. This is all <laughs> stuff that we're done with now. It's yeah, good vibes over here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna quote yeah. again from. Are you Are you still in there, Robert? Mm-hmm. Robert. <laughs> Look, just because all of like, for example, QAnon and like modern New Age fucking uh, 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 theology is based heavily on the shit this guy came up with, and he is is so racist that he has to split Germany in half based on race like that's all good it's fine we're fine it sucks like being involved in like a like a cult research and stuff and like being because everything i'm getting into i have to dig into the history and be like this isn't based in racism is it <laughs> like i have to ask that yeah. question with everything it's so so much of it like it's i don't know there's a few like it's like with um if you're into like norse paganism right you quickly come to realize that there's exactly two kinds of norse pagans there's literal nazis and then there's like the furthest left most anti-racist people in the world and there's nothing in between there's no centrist <laughs> norse pagans like they're either literal nazis or they're actively planning to murder nazis <laughs> there are two guys um and yeah it's kind of like with occultism it's either Oh, this is somebody's weird eugenic shit that they threw elves into, or it's 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 not. But man, there's not a lot of middle ground. Um, and I'm going to quote again from Martin Gardner here. Ancient, and this is him talking about uh, Sadler's book about Germany. Ancient Rome's rulers were all Nordics, Sadler assures us, but Rome fell because of the decay that followed a rapid increase of inferior stock. Germany today is suffering from a similar racial degradation. Its superior Nordic stock began to decline after the shameful Thirty Years' War. Since then, Alpines and other inferior strains have become dominant. Although many military leaders are still Nordics, the majority of soldiers are stupid, round-headed, vicious Alpines. This explains the brutal German joy of battle, the love of atrocity, and delight and suffering and torture <laughs> i'm just again like baffled at uh it's 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 creating this us versus them and we've got to make yeah. it as superficial as possible so it's easy for dumb people to be like short head bad long head good like it's very caveman yeah. it's very it's i mean it's it, it's it's stupid but also this is them this is the this is them like trying to add scientific rigor to racism and also trying to like use it so they these people have individually decided I don't very much like people who don't look exactly like the kind of white person I am and so then they're kind of like going back throughout history to find ways in which their specific preferences explain history so like what's actually going on here right when he talks about alpines he's talking about people from northern italy and like from the the regions of like Austria and shit in Switzerland. He's talking about the Alps, right? Like that's what Alpines are. So in ancient Rome, like the first Gauls were people from the Alpines, right? The first, like the barbarians who would occasionally come and attack Rome. And then they get conquered and they become like part of, of the Roman empire. And his argument is that like, well, the original Romans were Nordics, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because again they were extremely italian um but he's claiming that like when rome went wrong is when they didn't genocide all of the people from the mountains and instead incorporated them into the roman empire it's very very silly weird historical beef here um but sadler primarily used his book to urge u.s involvement in world war one right because we had a duty to protect the rest of the white race from degenerate alpine dominance um but he also used it to warn americans that they were heading in the same cursed direction as germany thanks to the civil war see the original colonists to the americas had been all been nordics right because the only people who explore are nordics and since nordics are also the best warriors when we had a civil war all of the fighting on both sides was done by nordics who died in huge numbers they they were replaced by genetically inferior people from depraved chunks of europe like ireland and italy and again this is not true. For one thing, a huge chunk of the Union War effort were like Irish people, right? And then the South, like the Confederacy, was heavily colonized by Scots-Irish people. So like on both sides, hell of a lot of Scottish and Irish people. Um in making this argument, Sadler quoted Madison Grant, quote, The result is showing plainly in the rapid decline in the birth rate of Native Americans, and he's not talking about Native Americans, right? He's talking about white people when he oh says God, Native Americans. Stop. I know. Yeah. 
<laughs> because the poorer classes of colonial stock where they exist will not bring children into the world to compete in the labor market with the Slovak, the Italian, the Syrian, and the Jew. The Native American is too proud to mix socially with them and is gradually withdrawing from the scene, abandoning to these aliens the land which he conquered and developed. The man of the old stock is being crowded out of many country districts by these foreigners, just as he is today being literally driven off the streets of New York by the swarms of Polish Jews. These immigrants adopt the language of the Native American. They wear his clothes, they steal his name, and they are beginning to take his women, but they seldom adopt his religion or understand his ideals. And while he is being elbowed out of his own home, the American looks calmly abroad and urges on others the suicidal ethics which are exterminating his own race. <laughs> so I'm, that's good. It, it It's weird listening to it, too, because it just sounds like still what is like pervading like Illuminati like subtext and all of that like the yeah. where it's just it's just secretly like anti-semitic <laughs> once you start well, yeah, to they all, the surface they all believe in that too right if you talk to any of these guys I'm sure you to talk to Sadler about like hey man what caused the French Revolution he'd be like well there was a cabal of Jewish academics and yeah. that yeah like, <laughs> it's good stuff but you know what is a cabal what <laughs> The products and services that support this podcast. A cabal to make you be entertained. That's why they're conspiring. They also want to overthrow the French government. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. We're back. Oh, boy. That convinced me to overthrow the French government. I don't know about you. Um, anyway, in 1920, another racist named Lothrop Stoddard wrote a book titled The Rising Tide of Color Against White World Supremacy. Now, that's quite a title. Uh, and it, it goes on to become like the best-selling eugenics text of the era. It's like the best-selling book in the country for a while. And if you find old copies of this book, the cover art is pretty... 
pretty telling. Uh, it shows a globe with a tiny white man in a tricolor hat waving a sword, chasing a very large black man with a spear who's like running roughshod over the planet. Um, and again, this is 1920. So Stoddard in 1920 is like, wow, non-white people are taking over the whole world. Um, which is quite a time to be thinking that. <laughs> that now, it's like the literal opposite. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so again, the thing that he's really concerned with, one of the things that frightens Stoddard is that like Asians are migrating to Africa in this period, largely because the British Empire is importing Indian workers to Southern Africa in order to like help them with labor. Gandhi is in South Africa and at around this point for that for that reason. Um, so Stoddard is urging like urges restricting immigration from non-white countries. Uh, he wants to force an end to Asian migration to Africa because uh, he thinks they'll interbreed and, and overwhelm white people. Um, and of course, he he wants an end to uh uh, miscegenation and a separation of what he calls the primary races by law. Uh, the New York Times, huge fan of this guy's book. New York Times cannot oh. get enough of this shit. Okay, let's uh, go New York Times. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Funny how they are always on the wrong side yeah, of issues <laughs> as we look at like a bunch of anti-trans shit they've been publishing today. Good on you, the New York Times, who told people that this Hitler thing was going to blow over. Um, so the New York Times loves his book. They recommend it to readers and write, quote, Lothrop Stoddard evokes a new peril, that of an eventual submersion between vast waves of yellow men, brown men, black men, and red men, whom the Nordics have hitherto dominated, with Bolshevism menacing us on one hand and race extinction through warfare on the other. Many people are not unlikely to give Stoddard's book respectful consideration. Respectful. Let's mm -hmm. respectfully consider. <laughs> That's what I think when I hear this guy yelling about <laughs> the colored domination of the white race. The rising tide of color. Sorry, there you go. Jesus Christ. Thanks, New York Times. So, one person who took uh, this guy's Lothrop Stoddard's, which, by the way, incredible racist name, right? You got to give it to him for that. You hear, like, if I were just to tell you, Ty... There was a guy named Lothrop Stoddard in the 1920s. What do you think his deal was? <laughs> yeah, I would, I would uh, not probably not want to join his organization. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd say like racism. He got, yeah. he had to have been some kind of famous racist. <laughs> Again, I'm a big nominative determinist, and that is a racist name, Lothrop Stoddard. <laughs> Sorry to the My Lothrop's God. In the audience. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, Warren G. Harding is a big fan of this guy. He gives a speech in 1921, which is actually the speech he gives is noteworthy historically because it's the first time a U.S. president in the 20th century expresses support for full economic and political rights for black people. But Harding only does it under the 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 condition that they continue segregation. So, but the mixed <laughs> bag. <laughs> Yeah, it's a separate but equal kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like, that's what that's what Harding is arguing. And he says, quote, Whoever will take the time to read and ponder Mr. Lothrop Stoddard's book on the rising tide of color must realize that our race problem here in the United States is only a phase of a race issue that the whole world confronts. So, that's good. Now, if you've read The Great Gatsby in high school, right, um, you've probably run across references to Stoddard's work. Tom Buchanan, the male antagonist in the book and prototypical chud, tells the narrator at one point, quote, civilization's going to pieces. I've got to be a terrible pessimist about things. Have you read The Rise of the Colored Empires by this man Goddard? And Goddard in the book is a reference, a thinly veiled reference to, to Lothrop Stoddard, right? Um, so it, it's interesting. F. Scott Fitzgerald not the wokest guy in history, but he's definitely anti-eugenics and he recognizes it as like a thing that shitty people advocate. Because okay. that's how it's portrayed in the book, right? It, yeah, is pop science for like shitty rich psychopaths. Good, I was like, oh no, um, I like gotta, gotta walk away from the Great Gatsby, but... <laughs> no, 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 no. Great Gatsby, like he specifically, Fitzgerald specifically makes the worst guy in the Great Gatsby be a fan of a Lothrop fan of Stoddard. okay. Yeah, and he's like very much in the book, basically what's happening is like, Tom Buchanan, it's like the equivalent of someone today telling you about like Jordan Peterson and what he has to say about trans people. Be like, you've got to read what this Peterson man's writing. Um, like that's literally, they're the same guy. Lothrop Stoddard is the same kind of like public intellectual. And that's what William Sadler wants to be. So Sadler is also in that same vein. He's like this doctor with these fancy academic credentials who's writing, who like pivots 
from actually practicing medicine to writing books about how awesome racism is because that becomes the way to like make money kind of grifting off of this culture war fear of like non-white people taking over the country. Um, and you know, um, Sadler and his wife, Lena kind of fall perfectly into this movement. Um, they are eugenics opportunists, you might call them. And after, um, yeah, you might, you might think of him as like the twenties equivalent of like dudes like Dave Rubin and Matt Walsh. Um, he's not the original. He's not like the Jordan Peterson type because, you know, he's kind of following in their footsteps, but he's aping their rhetoric in order to further his own career. And his first big, you know, he writes that book in 1918 about the Germans. Um, and then after a Lothrop Stoddard's book comes out in 1920. In 1922, he writes another copycat racism book called Racial Decadence, in which he claims America's genetic heritage is at risk due to the rapid birth rate of non-white people. Um, and, Honestly, you know, Racial Decadence sounds like it should be a good book. <laughs> it does sound like it should be a good book, right? That double speak coming in. That's how they get you. Yeah, it's a shame. Giving Decadence a bad name. Here's an... And again, he's... So Stoddard writes this book that's like this very um, excitingly written pop academic piece. And uh, Sadler kind of rewrites the same book, but makes it really, really boring. Like he turns it into this kind of turgid piece of academic prose. I'm going to read an excerpt from the preface here. And therefore, while not considering these matters in too grave a light, but at the same time taking the mission which has en he has endeavored to fulfill in this and subsequent volumes quite seriously, it will be apparent that if but a little bit has been contributed to the clarification of these basic problems which confront the nation, if but a mite has been added to aid in solving the menacing difficulties discussed in this work, if but even a trifle has been added to the final turning of the tide of evil influences which jeopardize the white races in general and the American stock in particular, then we will have been repaid manifold for the research and other efforts entailed in the writing of this book. He's 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 a shit writer, is what I'm saying. I was so, like, that's a lot of words to say next to nothing. <laughs> yeah, to say very little. We hope this book helps America racism better. So one of Sadler's few new additions to the growing field of racism studies was his idea of the inverse ratio, ratio between the genetic health of people and their race and the amount of time they've been away from the soil. Right. So basically state being being separated from the soil makes you like makes your race degrade. Right. Obviously, he's not the only person thinking in these terms. The Nazis are going to start espousing this belief in like the sacred value of the soil and bringing people back to the land right around the same period. So he's he's, you know, in line with top thinkers in racism of his day. In 1930, Sadler publishes The Truth About Heredity. Um, now, this is a book about genetic science, and I, I will remind you here, this man never receives a proper education. Um, all, almost all of his schooling is through Seventh-day Adventist facilities and then being trained on how to cut people open and then going to some lectures by Freud. Um, so he's like... This his primary understanding of science is like nofap ideology, right? Like it's shit that the Proud Boys believe today. And then he starts. He, then he writes a book about heredity, which he does not understand at all. And in fact, he gets it so wrong that uh, his mentor Kellogg like sends a copy of his book to a book reviewer to be like, "You have to badly review his book because it's a piece of shit and he doesn't know what he's talking about." And the reviewer doesn't want to get into it because he doesn't want to piss off Sadler because Sadler's famous and Kellogg's bummed. About that, but also won't go against his boy. So it's anyway, whatever. Fuck you, Kellogg, you coward. I was um, like, what a baby. Like, can't just say to his face. Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of shit in this book uh, that's 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 pretty fucking racist. Uh, Sadler writes that the Civil War was, in his mind, worth fighting, uh, quote, either to save the Union or to free the black man, which is an interesting way of phrasing it. Um, he said that he believed that the black man deserved his freedom, but that this had not made the races fundamentally equal and that the fact that people were now trying to treat them equally was going to destroy the United States. Um, and, and, and in his book, Mark Martin Gardner thinks that a lot of Sadler's racism might be due to the feud that he and Kellogg had with Mrs. White, um, who was believed at the time to have been mixed race. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a thing that Gardner will claim. 
Anyway, just as she had been his partner in his medical practice, Lena Sadler also worked alongside her husband to push eugenics. She wrote a paper in 1932 titled, Is It Abnormal to Become Normal?, which was read for the first time at a gathering of the Illinois Federation of Women's Clubs and then reprinted in the Illinois Medical Journal. In it, Lena warns against racial degeneration, like her husband, and advocates a suite of eugenic measures to stop racial degeneration. Quote, Here we are coddling, feeding, training, and protecting this viper of degeneracy in our midst, all the while laying the flattering unction to our souls that we are a philanthropic, charitable, and thoroughly Christianized people. We presume to protect the weak and lavish charity with a free hand upon these defectives, all the while seemingly ignorant and unmindful of the fact that ultimately this monster will grow to such hideous proportions that it will strike us down, that the future descendants of the army of the unfit will increase to such numbers that they will overwhelm the posterity of superior humans and eventually wipe out the civilization we bequeath to our descendants. And all this will certainly come to pass if we do not heed the handwriting on the wall and do something. Army of the Unfit sounds like a sick mm-hmm. metal band name. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> Very ableist of Lena. Um, she is a better writer than her husband. That's just more compelling writing than uh, than what you get from from William Sadler. Much, so, much flower, more flowery language, but it didn't feel like I was yeah. sifting through bullshit to try to get one word that meant it anything. Doesn't. And look, it's important even when we write about racists to acknowledge when when you know uh, girl power got stuff done in here it's really i think the girl oh power God, that's, girl that's driving it yeah. gaslight let's go <laughs> she's doing it <laughs> so the saddlers published their eugenic screeds alongside a dizzying array of self-help books eventually more than 40 in total these included the elements of pep which i didn't find a copy of but would really like to read uh, as well as an inspirational collection of bible quotes for the workplace so again they're trend followers right that's like a big part of what they're doing and getting into eugenics and all of this shit and in the wake of world war one a new trend arises that these guys are going to jump in on and this trend is mediums now if you're not aware world war one a lot of people die doesn't not good for people staying alive world war one um and after a bunch of fucking dudes die in world war one there's this horrible influenza pandemic that kills even more people uh so the new world that comes into being after this in the 20s and 30s is filled with grieving people who are looking for meaning and are also like mourning a bunch of people that they lost this is when the ouija board becomes popular This is when that's exactly where we're going. So the Ouija board had been invented in like the 1870s, but it doesn't really it's like 1915, 1917 that the Ouija board starts to like go super viral for folks. Um, Spiritualism had obviously started to be a force in the US and European pop culture in the late 1800s, but it kind of like comes to vogue in the 1870s and declines in the 1890s. But then in the 20s and 30s, it roars back to dominance and It gets more complicated in the 20s and 30s because people are more sophisticated. So in the late 1800s, it had mostly been like table wrapping and like toe tapping and shit to give you people coded messages from the dead, right? The medium would like tap out messages and code and shit. More sophisticated methods like Ouija boards and automatic writing become popular in the 20s and 30s. In the 1917, W.B. Yeats becomes an evangelist for his wife who claims that she could write automatically directed by some non human force. Yeats has like a dead kid or some shit that inspires him to get into this. In 1918, Arthur Conan Doyle leads a seance with Harry Houdini, wherein his wife wrote 15 pages of messages that she claimed had been written by Houdini's mother. Now, Houdini does not buy, buy this at all, but obviously that doesn't dampen overall enthusiasm for the trend of automatic writing. By 1919, as one writer for The Courier noted, quote, Mothers and friends of fallen soldiers resorting to table wrapping, creaking, and automatic writing through the medium of the planchette, Ouija, heliograph, etc., in the hope of once more communicating with their loved ones. The heliograph is like this light-based device that you can send messages with over distances that, again, was another way people would, people turned it into a tool for talking to the dead. So, a number of folks 
are not big fans of the fact that everybody starts to get into spiritualism and talking to the dead in this period. The author of that Courier article noted his belief that that spiritualism and, and medium stuff is a menace and that those who fell for such scams are, quote, gullible imbeciles, quote, there are many unfortunate beings today in our lunatic asylums driven mad by demonical possession. They are also directly responsible for many suicides. In females, it often results in hysterics, chronic insomnia, etc. And of course, Dr. Sadler is in agreement with this, so he's not pro-medium. He feels that mediums are providing false comfort, and he rails against clairvoyance and claims uh, of channeling spirits and automatic writing. He writes a bunch of articles trying to debunk this stuff, talking about how they're not really writing automatically, you know, it's in the same handwriting as the original person, all that good stuff. I mean, it's super predatory. It makes me think of, like, modern-day YouTube videos where people are like, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so YouTuber just died, and I'm using a Ouija board to contact them or I'm going to use I'm going to do a tarot spread and and learn about why this true crime case happened like it it's it, yeah it, it kind of um goes after preys upon people who are grieving and like you're you're going towards people in their weakest moments and you're giving them um information higher that's like also maybe making them feel some comfort and so then they feel indebted to you and they and and that's exactly how a lot of the the cult shit happens like you get people yeah. at their weakest moments and that's like Sadler recognizes this and he calls this out so he is and he calls this out he doesn't do this he's not like a lone truth speaker he is he's uh, allegedly friends with Houdini he's friends with another a magician named Howard Thurston who's like they're both in they're all into this like busting mediums thing so it's a big business like these mediums grifting people is a business and likewise it's kind of like how on YouTube right you've got these people who are like doing this fraudulent you know talking to the dead shit and then you have the people who were like debunk their stuff and that's also very profitable he's on that end of things so he's like a popular debunker of what he calls charlatans and frauds um but the reality is that dr sadler his primary issue isn't that these people are actually like taking advantage of folks it's that they're making money and getting famous from their con and and he's not and so as the 1930s dawned he starts the process of launching what would go on to become the most influential automatic writing con of this post-war spiritualism boom the book of arantia so that's part one we have we have set things up in part two we're going to talk basically as we in part one he is like a prominent eugenicist and a debunker of automatic writing and mediumship frauds. And in part two, he's going to launch. I don't know. I don't know how to describe this thing without just getting into the whole story. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it off here for now, but this ends with the invention of celestial seasoning, sleepy time tea <laughs> to combat. all of this. <laughs> yes. Um, boy, it's a story. Um, but first Ty, you know what else is a story? What is a story? Your pluggables. Oh, hey, what's up? Uh, I am, yeah. hey, Shady Lady. I'm a, one of the four co-hosts on the Boss Level podcast, which is also produced by iHeartRadio. We spend a lot of time interviewing really wonderful people from the gaming industry, uh, especially like highlighting the diversity behind the gaming industry and the streaming industry. So uh, a lot of fun over there. And then I'm also, I'd also do Twitch and YouTube. I'm Hey Shady Lady everywhere. Well, I am not Hey Shady Lady anywhere because <laughs> uh, I am not you. But I am me, and that's the end of the episode. Woohoo! Nailed it. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. From football playoffs to basketball madness, 
TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.